Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Have you ever filled out a bracket without picking UConn as a winner? Ever? Oh, what? Are you calling me? Are you asking me I if I'm a traitor? traitor. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Microphones, what do they do? The answer came as a surprise to Miami Heat center Myers Leonard and the announcer of an Oklahoma high school basketball game. March means stimmy checks and the return of March Madness, where it's 1-2-3 Cancun for Kentucky and Duke Neither will be appearing in the tournament for the first time since 1976. Georgetown, however, will be there after Patrick Ewing finally wins a championship in Madison Square Garden. Plus, Jeremy Lin joins us. And we play Take Survivor, where only the strongest takes move on on this, the debut episode of Take Line. I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Renee Montgomery. And welcome to the debut episode. Oh, let's go! Of Take Line. Let's go! Number let's one, do baby. It. I can't wait. So, uh, Renee, first of all, incredible to uh, be sitting virtually across from you, talking into yes. mics with a two time WNBA uh, champion who walks it like they talk it. Uh, Renee, talk about your journey here. Like, what, what you're hoping to accomplish with this podcast. Oh, you know, I like platforms that allow me to be me. And so when you all first came to me to talk about this podcast, I was like, tell me more. You're like, yeah, we're going to talk about sports and culture in that intersection. And I'm like, tell me more. And so I just, the more I found out about what this podcast will be about, the more I was like, oh yeah, I'm in. Like I was, I was in before I even did the first interview with you. And so for me, um, I think that things need to be said. I think that yeah. people need to hear what's going on and from different perspectives. I mean, I'm a black woman in America. You're an Asian American in America. So that's, you know, it's, we have different views than that's maybe right. what the normal view is. And so, yeah, for me, that's kind of, that's kind of what drew me in right away. And and you were talking about all my stuff and you're an Emmy award winner and all of this. <laughs> so, you know, like what, like, why did you want to create this, this pod? Honestly, like, you know, I think that there is, it's impossible to disconnect sports from the things that are happening in the country, from the conversations about race, from the conversations about, you know, labor relations, uh, conversations about economic justice, about uh, gender equality. All of those conversations yeah. are at the forefront of sports conversations. The WNBA proved that over the last, over basically its entire Shouts history. To the w. Over the last year. I, I, because uh, they are at the forefront of all these conversations all the time, just by the fact that they exist. Um, and I just don't think there's 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 no way to steer away from it, at least from my perspective. And so I want to hear from voices that uh, don't often get heard and allow those voices to talk about sports. It's a thing that uh, brings a lot of people together, people from all different kinds of walks of life, people that disagree about a lot of stuff. And I think we often yeah. hear a, a pretty singular viewpoint. 
with regards to sports and with regards to a lot of things, but it's sports in particular. And so I want to hear some of those other voices. I want to talk to some of those other voices. I want to see what's going on. And at the same time, I want to have a sports show where we talk about sports and have fun, all of that. But I want to be able to steer into those conversations that I think are just so important and are unavoidable when you just, when you talk about something as powerful in our society as sports. Yeah. I couldn't be more delighted to be doing the show with you. And, you know, hopefully people will be excited, just as excited to take this journey with us. I can't wait to uh, talk about the things we're going to talk about. And I can't wait to uh, go on this adventure with you, Renee Montgomery, two-time WNBA champion. (laughs) Let's go! Let's go! (laughs) It's March. The steamy checks will be dropping. That means... (laughs) If you got a bracket to fill out, you might have a little scratch to do it with. The brackets have been announced this weekend after this weekend's slate of games. Uh, the women's brackets will be announced tonight. We're taping this on Monday. Renee, do you have your bracket so- filled? Any surprises? Any takeaways from the results from, from this past weekend and from the brackets? Oh, well... Everyone should know that all my brackets lead to UConn. So yes. Yes, my, yes, my bracket is filled out. I can tell you how my story ends. It's not yeah. shocking. So <laughs> what about UConn. you? <laughs> Listen, I bleed blue, so I'm the wrong person to ask about that. But what are you thinking? Like, what are your brackets looking like? It's a toss-up this year. This year is a tough year. It is, a t- it is first of all, uh, you know, because of the way COVID has impacted everything in the world and yeah. life. Uh, you can't, the NCAAs can't escape that either. Uh, the entire competition is going to be played in a bubble-like atmosphere in, in Indianapolis. The brackets aren't actually going to be um, nailed down until tomorrow. They're uh, leaving in right. some time for testing and to make sure everybody is uh, tested clean. Um, I, the thing that delighted me this weekend was just seeing Patrick Ewing as coach of yes, Georgetown, Georgetown finally win a title in Madison Square Garden in a shocking run, picked to finish last in the conference, shocking yeah. run to the championship. And this is after, you know, making news because security at MSG didn't recognize him, I guess, which is. Can you believe that? Like, on. can we like, first what is happening? of all. They have to have like photo charts somewhere. I don't yes. know if there's an educational process yes. that needs to happen, but I was embarrassed for them. I mean, come on now. What are we talking about here? Like, no, that, that's that, there has to be. That's the thing. It's like, okay, yes, of course. Like, I'm sure some of the security personnel maybe are younger. They didn't uh, grow up with Pat. They don't, they weren't aware of him. That said, whoever right. is managing this needs to have <laughs> a picture of everybody who's coming in and has uh, IDs, but still a picture of Pat in particular and say, okay, this and is maybe Patrick Ewing. asterisk beside the legends. Like, if, <laughs> yeah, if they're right? a legend, maybe let's put a little asterisk beside it, like something. Yes. And this is, this is, I think, particularly important after, you know, the, disaster that was ejecting Charles Oakley from the garden a few years back. Uh, those two are legends in that space. Legendary Knicks. Yes. And it's like, you've already got that bad rep that you're not treating your legends in the right way. How about treating Patrick Ewing in the right way? And in that regard, I'm just was absolutely thrilled to see him, to see him win it and really knock off some, uh, heavy hitting teams on the way to do it. I think now, listen, people are going to say, okay, well, like there was a lot of upheaval in terms of uh, new players coming in, new players coming out. Uh, 
I don't care. Patrick Ewing is a champion. It he did it in the garden. I love matter. it. matter. I love it. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They always have to do that. And this is after struggling for many, many years as an assistant in the exactly. NBA to get recognized as a coaching talent, as a real coaching talent. Like, what does he have to do to be respected as a coaching talent win the Big East Championship, apparently? And shouts to the Big East. You know, I'm a Big Easter in the sense of when I was in college, I was in the Big East. The Big East used to be tough in a sense of there was the Villanovas and that's the Cal Lowry and that group. They used to have tough teams in, in the Big East. So for Georgetown, all the historical presence that they have, Patrick Ewing to be at the head and win it. Oh, yeah. Like I even had I posted about it. I had to let everybody know, look, I do bleed blue, but <laughs> I love to see it. We love to see what happened. And it was a little bit of poetic justice. I'm sorry. Like for that to happen and then him go on to win, like, you know, you love to see it. Have you ever filled out a bracket without picking UConn as a winner ever? Oh, what? Are you calling me? Are you asking me? I'm just I'm asking. I don't know. That's <laughs> <laughs> Are you asking me out loud if I'm a traitor? No, I have not. Honestly, I hardly ever even fill out brackets. Like, for instance, I'm covering the women's tournament this yeah. year. So I'll be calling the women's um, NCAA tournament this year. Uh, so I call it pretty unbiased. But everybody knows that when I drip, it's blue. Like, of that's course. Just, of course. That's just how it is. Of course. Um, then there's Rick Pitino is back in it, taking the Iona yeah. Gales uh, back into the tournament. Now, here's <laughs> I, I just said that I wasn't going to uh, pick nits with Patrick Ewing. Uh sitting atop the Big East. Uh, you know, Patino, I'm glad he's back. The Gales were good. They were in the tournament five of the last six years. So this whole, like, Rick Patino is back. He's doing it again. He took the best team, like, in the conference, and he got them back into the tournament like they've been in the tournament for most of the past five, six years. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm excited for it. The women's brackets are coming out tomorrow. Uh, yes, and sir. we just got some news while we were sitting here. I'm sick about it. I'm sick about it. The Godfather, my guy, he's like, oh, Gino Ariema. He just tested positive. But the crazy thing is, and let me make sure I get this right, he ha he received both doses of the vaccine already. And he was supposed to be nine days away from being fully vaccinated, meaning that you know how it's that three-week period after you get yeah. your second vaccine for it to basically settle in and do his thing. He was nine days away from that three-week period and contracted COVID. So now he's isolating at home. I'm stressed out. He's yeah. not having any symptoms. So I'm excited that he's not having any symptoms and that he's going to be okay because obviously that's my heart. But yeah, man, like that's a, that's a, a curveball right there. It's a big curveball. And it just goes to show you the kind Oof. of fraught, the fraught nature of everything that is going on in the world right now. It just feels like, you know, we're trying to get back to normal. The vaccines are rolling out at the same time. There's this is new territory for everyone that is going through it. Everyone. It is a huge stress test on every aspect of life. Many, many people have lost their lives. And so we just are, are wishing the best for for Gino. What really And I mean, imagine the players, news. too. Because, yeah. I mean, for the UConn season, UConn didn't even start the season the same time everyone else did because yeah. we had a positive COVID test. So we started about... Two weeks later, and now going into the tournament, we're playing well, we're doing well, and then bam. So kind of to your point of just trying to get some normalcy, but then we have to realize that we're in a pandemic because this happens. It's just really, really wild stuff. Wishing you the best, Gino. Shouts to the Godfather. And, uh, you know, so in other news, I just want to say, 
my Knicks are still good. People were oh. people were concerned about it over the listen, we're heading into the second half of the season. The Knicks had a very uh-huh. easy had the, the basically the easiest season uh over the first half of it, right? By strength of schedule. Yeah. Now they're having like the third toughest schedule and yet they uh, beat a very scrappy Oklahoma City Thunder team and they're yeah. still 500 and I count that as an absolute win and that was a big part of my weekend. Thank you very much. <laughs> Nick's still 500. So I love it. So you're riding that wave, the I'm, 500 wave. You're feeling good. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I think I know what you'll say, but any predictions for the for the women's bracket? What do you what do you what do you see happening? Who do you see coming out on top? Well, it's funny because when you first asked me the question, I was speaking in the women's bracket form anyway, because that's like yeah, my yeah. first bracket that right, I right, think of, of. So yeah, I just think I mean, and and even me being an alumni aside, people should understand that UConn wins with when we have the best teams, UConn mm-hmm. wins when we don't have the best teams, UConn wins when it's not the best seasons. So the reason that I pick UConn is because it's just hard to kind of go against UConn. And I'm just even saying that from an unbiased opinion. I think a lot of sports people would agree that Coach Ariema and his coaching staff just coach themselves to a certain level of excellence. Like you can't assume there's no way that anyone could say that UConn has the best team every year. There's no way no one can say that because we don't. We don't have the best recruiting classes, so then we don't necessarily – you can't just make that assumption because we're UConn. You have to give the coaching, the culture, the way we prepare some type of respect. And so because of that – yeah, I'm rolling with the Huskies. Come on now. What about you, though, Jason? Our friendship depends on this. No, I'm joking. (laughs) I mean, listen, there are uh, some great teams in the the – in the tournament, yeah. as usual, Baylor, Stanford, mm-hmm. Louisville. Yeah. I could not possibly continue in this podcast without picking <laughs> UConn. And I will say, like, ooh, ooh. from a talent perspective, like, Paige Beaker's crushing yeah. it. Cannot wait yeah. to see what she will do in the tournament. Uh, it's just going to be a fun ride regardless. UConn to the top. Let's go. During a recent broadcast of an Oklahoma girls high school basketball game, a commentator made a racist remark directed at the high school girls team in Norman who chose to take a knee during the national anthem. They're green and white. Oh, shit. They're kneeling. Fucking I hope Norman gets her ass kicked. Are you sure? That's Midwest City, man. Kneeling. Isn't it? Huh? Norman. Fuck you. Now, if you couldn't hear what he was saying, Lucky for you, because he's cussing, he's using profanity, he's saying the F word, he's calling them the N word. A lot of unacceptable things happening here. The girls didn't do anything abnormal. They didn't do anything that would make someone react, I would say. But the broadcasters reacted in the worst way possible. Um, They had a hot mic. And let me just start by saying, we do TV, Jason. Yes. Okay, so we do TV. Mike's always on. The mic is always, always on. on. Always Thank on. Thank you. It's always on. Like, I don't on. understand people blaming a hot mic. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Are you a professional and or not? The mic is always thank on. Thank you. The mic is always on. And then here's the idea. How about not saying anything wild in your normal everyday speech that when it spills over to the hot mic, now you're in trouble? Like, if somebody catches me on a hot mic, they might be hearing me talk about the snacks I love. If I'm hungry, yes. they might hear me talk about, I don't say wild stuff in regular life. So when I'm on mic is hot, I'm not worried. We should note that Mr. Rowan uh, issued a statement in which he did yes. take responsibility for it. And he also said, quote, 
I will state I suffer from type 1 diabetes, and during the game, my sugar was spiking. Shit. It is not unusual when my sugar spikes that I become disoriented and often say things that are inappropriate. Let me just say this about that. It's funny to me that he would blame his blood sugar because it it suggests How? it suggests that there is like a biological basis for him to be racist like if you just if he's just thirsty and his blood sugar is low enough the racism just jumps out <laughs> like make it make sense it takes all of his healthiness his healthy energy to keep that down but when his but when his blood sugar gets low like, enough, it just this can't is like help a, a Snickers commercial gone wrong. <laughs> I think he he watched a Snickers commercial and thought, "Hungry? Why wait?" And he thought, "Well, maybe I can lean into that." No, sir. Come no, on, don't sir. Do that. No, sir. Like that. First of all, shouts to those young ladies. Let me backtrack. Yes. First shouts of to all, those young ladies in high school, yes. high school that have to deal with this. In, in high, high school, school, in high school, I was thinking about. Not things about kneeling. Like, these high school yes. kids are very advanced. The climate right now, they're very aware. Um, and so for those girls to do that, first of all, it's courageous because whenever we've seen what happens when, when athletes kneel. It's not always received well. So shouts to them for first taking a stand by taking a knee. And then if everybody doesn't get it yet, this is why athletes is- are kneeling. This is why people are doing what they're doing because – for people that don't necessarily get it, don't believe racism is a real thing. Look what just happened in 2021. When when people are allowed to speak their minds and, and don't know that people are listening, this is exactly what happens. We should add that the uh, Norman girls, they they won the championship as well. So sh- absolutely. Okay. Chastain. Let's go. Let's, Let's go. go. Like you did your thing and you handled business. I look. For me, this is, and and so I'm passionate because it's a women's basketball team, so I feel like I'm personally attacked by this in some way. So I want to just make sure that those high school girls with Norman, first of all, congratulations on your win, but second of all, congratulations on making history. You made a stance. This is now history. You're on the right side of it. So sometimes when a lot of media comes, you almost don't feel like, you, you, you get worried yeah. that you might not be on the right side of history, but I want to let those girls know that you did nothing wrong. You actually did something right because you stood t- by taking a knee for something you believe in. So I just want to make sure that you know from me that I'm so proud of of just how mature players are these days. Like, I'm so impressed. Yeah, this story, uh, it's important to talk about for many, many reasons. And one of the reasons that we want to talk about here is because this is why we created this podcast. Exactly. Sports is, because of the way it's viewed as a meritocracy, has always been on the forefront of social movements, of integration. Um, And it will continue to be that. And so when people say variations, the various variations of of shut up and dribble, they're being really ignorant to the force that is sports within our society and has been for the amount of time that existed in our society. Um, Harry Edwards, a sociologist, was quoted in a New York Times op-ed as saying, quote, sports does not so much mirror society, it is integral to the functioning of society. And that's exactly right. Mm, It's, you know, the the, um, for mainstream America, read white male America, a lot of their first experience with people from 
outside of their, uh, you know, ethnic group or, or religious group has been through sports. This is how uh, yeah. people are integrated into our society. And so this, these conversations are continue to be important. And I'm glad that people have uh, decried this person, but also it brings to mind another uh, part of this, which is, you know, there's been so much talk about like cancel culture and what that means and, uh, and demonizing it. Yeah. For this person that made these comments, Matt Rowan, what would it take for them to be welcomed back as like a member of the sports broadcasting community. What what would you need oh, to see? Pick me, pick me, to, for him pick to me, get pick me. Well, first of all, I would want Matt to not stop making excuses. Yeah. So if you say, I will state I suffered type one <laughs> diabetes and during the game my sugar yeah, was come spiking, on. come on. That to me doesn't show accountability. That doesn't show like your sugar had nothing to do with you calling people yeah. a racist slur. So for me, it's it's very hard for me to get yeah. over it, let's say, if I don't feel like they're really sorry. I, that's not that's not an apology. I don't it's even not. I don't even like that's not an apology to me. It's an excuse. So the first way would be to apologize yeah. and actually mean it. That would be the very yes. first step. Like, Absolutely. oh, wow, I realize I messed up. Take some up. accountability for this. When I see something about yeah. diabetes, yeah, the, the diabetes thing threw me for a whole loop. I actually thought it was a joke. I saw it on Twitter first. And I was like, oh, Twitter's well, because at it the again. Thing is you listen to the if you listen to the statements and they're disgusting, but it's not like he's incoherent. They you understand what he's saying. Exactly. Yeah, like, it was a full conversation, too. It wasn't like he said one word and it slipped down. He's like, oh, oh. it was like. They had a discussion. He had, he vented about it. He went on to just say multiple things about why he doesn't like that. They're kneeling, blank them. Like, I hope Norman gets their yeah. A kicked. Like, what are we talking about here? Like, he that was your sugar? No, 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 no. And then everyone wants to complain about cancel culture, but just how should we feel about that? You know, I always want to ask people, how should I feel about that then? So if people tell me I shouldn't feel any type of way, well, tell me how I should feel about a grown man calling I mean, high school on. girls yeah. names. Like that to me, I'm a grown woman. So I feel almost a certain protectiveness over that. And so, yeah, I think that the first step for Matt would be to apologize. First yes. of all, educate yourself because that first statement was wild. And then like apologize and mean it. Like, I, and you can't force people to accept an apology too. That's another thing that people have a hard time with. Like just because you apologize doesn't mean yes. that people have to accept it right away. Maybe you need to apologize. Maybe you need to show that you're trying to do better. Um, there's been different people that have done these type yeah. of things like a Drew Brees where you say something insensitive, you apologize, and then you show us that you really meant your apology. So I think that's a good start to your question, Jason. I think that's a good start on how not to get canceled because people have said some insensitive things before and not gotten canceled. So it's not like everyone gets canceled, but you yeah. need to be genuine and show and that just, show I'm that you understand that. why what you said was painful. You know, yes. Show, show that you that you get that. One of the things I've really been struck by in the last, you know, since the pandemic, but certainly for years before that, is just like you know, it's it's really obvious in our culture, who is very comfortable with the way things are and doesn't feel the need to like say anything and who feels uh, anxious yeah. and at threat because of the way things are depicted, because of the way uh, words are used, because of the things that they see every day in the news and on social media and whatever. And 
I think this was a moment where uh, Mr. Rowan felt uh, very comfortable and at ease and he showed us who he is. Way and, too comfortable. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of other examples of this, of the mic uh, being on when uh, supposedly seasoned broadcasters didn't know it was on. It's the always hot. hot. The mic is hot. It's hot, is hot, hot, hot. Uh, Tom Brenneman, of course, uh, notably in August 2020 during a uh, Reds uh, game against the Kansas City Royals, uh, said a homophobic slur live on air. Myers Leonard only last yep. week uttered a anti-Semitic slur with his entire chest while streaming Call of Duty, a stream oh that he goodness. set up like he knew he was on. <laughs> he knew he was doing that. Yeah, he did it on purpose. I don't even know what you call it a hot mic. Like he just set his own mic up. Uh, Deshaun Jackson at at anti-Semitic Instagram post from 2020. Uh, Kobe had an anti-gay slur from the bench in in 2011. Tim Hardaway. Tim Hardaway in 2007 had an anti-gay one. Um, But that's the thing. It's happened before. before And people have bounced back. You know, like if, if you genuinely want to do better, once you realize you're not doing well, I have to read uh, yeah. the Norman Mayer quote really quick because it was everything. This is Bria Clark, the, the mayor of Norman. And and she said, I am livid and absolutely disgusted about the racist and hateful comments directed towards the young women of the Norman High School basketball team by a game announcer in the live broadcast of last night's game. These young athletes were simply expressing themselves. That yeah. that That part right there is crazy because... It's 2021. I keep saying that because I would think that we could express ourselves in any way we feel like however I feel I want to express myself as long as it's not harming anyone else. You would think that that would be okay, but the mayor had to say how disgusted and livid she is by this because all the girls were doing expressing themselves. So I just want to just end it by saying, girls, express yourself, okay? Keep going. We are behind you. You got a crew, a tribe. We are with you. So don't let something like that deter you. I think a good metric of whether a protest is working on some level is that people are mad about it, right? Like if you've, if you've, if, if they're doing it and everybody's just like, okay, like and you're not sparking a racist to to be racist and to object in in really terrible and retrograde ways then then maybe the protest isn't working this protest still working for as benign and as all it is 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 people kneeling that's all it is and you see what happens speaking of other cultural issues and sports the republican establishment is attacking transgender youth and athletes across the country um, there have been multiple bills put forth uh, by state legislatures to ban transgender yeah. athletes from competing. More than 20 states are proposing restrictions on athletics uh, or gender-confirming health care for transgender minors this year. That means trans athletes would have to be uh, go to a doctor and have like this uh, basically be examined to prove that they are the gender that they are that they were born as and that they are competing as. Uh, conservative lawmakers are responding to an executive order that bans discrimination based on gender identity in high school sports and elsewhere, which Biden signed uh, January twentieth, the day he took office. A bunch of lawmakers supporting these bills, including uh, Florida Representative Kaylee Tuck, Senator Kelly Stargill of uh, also of Florida, North Dakota. Uh, Representative Ben Koppelman, many, many others. Kansas, Wisconsin, Maine, South Carolina, Tennessee. I mean, I I think one of the things that's notable to me about this is the fact that like for those who have been asked, the lawmakers that have been asked, 
what is this is there is there uh, some kind of case that you can point to that this law is meant to fix none of them can say oh it's because of this yeah there's actually n- because there's, there's not, not one. one case that they can pull from. I'm going to tell you what case they're all pulling from, Jason. <laughs> Joanna Man. They watched one movie and they think like, listen, the Tennessee governor, Bill Lee, said, I do believe that transgenders participating in women's sports will destroy women's sports. What? Huh? Like that. Like that <sighs> means that you believe that. Like, I, I've seen this online, too, this theory that, like, the Juana man will happen, that all of a sudden, a lot of guys will start wanting to compete in women's sports because they'll be good at it, and that will ruin women's sports. What are we talking about here? Like, that's such a far-fetched scenario that they made a movie about it. That's how far-fetched it is, and I think that that's what people are holding on to because, to your point, there's not, there's not one, one case. case that makes them, that they can, like, Make their anchor. The numbers are so small that it's actually hard to talk about it. We can say that, like, something like 0.6% of the country's adults identify as trans is a very small number. Um, Again, this is, you know, clearly a tactic to fire up a right wing base because there actually is no policy proposal. Right. There's nothing other than get mad at woke people, get mad at Black Lives Matter activists, get mad at LGBTQ activists because they're going to cancel us and we need to do something about it. What do we need to do? I don't know. I guess pass legislation that doesn't actually address any (laughs) single case on the books ever. It's bizarre. Like, sometimes this stuff is so bizarre, I have to, like, reread yeah. it to make sure I understand Again, this is really why happening. we do this. This is why we have this pod, this exact reason, yeah. because, you know, the country is – we're divided. We're a divided country, divided by economics, divided by race, divided by any number of other uh, criteria. And something as big as sports is, you know, essentially – the one big tent under which we all gather and uh, with people who we disagree with. And so you're just going to continue to see stories like this as sports continues to be on the forefront of these culture insurrections by the, by the right wing. You know, the WNBA has a high majority of the LGBTQ community. So I feel like, again, these, even though these things don't affect me personally, these things affect me personally. And so yeah, take line, man. I'm I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I think about that a lot because, you know, when you have these conversations, people are like, well, can't you just like enjoy the games or can't you just, we just want to watch sports and blah, blah, blah. I wish I could just watch sports. You think I don't want to yeah. just like, yeah. you think I just don't? Exactly. Just, Must be nice. Like, it would be great if we could come on here and laugh every day because everything, like we yeah. could just have fun and make jokes about Whatever happened in the NBA, people shacked in a full. Like, that would be fun. Yeah, you would have loved to play your last year as a pro. Right. <laughs> like, I love basketball. I hope people understand that when I opted out, it wasn't yeah. because I didn't like basketball. It was because I was that disturbed by what's going on. Like, hello. Like, that's this is not necessarily... Like, I like yeah. to talk about it with you, Jason, because it needs to be talked about. But me I would too. love it if I mean, there that's was nothing the thing to talk that about. It drives me crazy when people, like, feel like, you know, that the people who care about these issues are just haranguing them or, like, you know, uh, chewing their ear off with issue after issue. It's like, we don't want to talk about this. We would just, I just want to go about my life. I just want to watch the game and not think about it, turn my brain off. But, like, guess what? 
a lot of people don't have that don't have that privilege to do that because they are on the forefront of these conversations. They live it because it's literally their body that are is on the line in these conversations. Listen, I'm so glad you said that because last year in the bubble, I opted out, as you guys know, but the conversations around the NBA, people kept on wondering, these yeah. guys are rich. Like, what's their deal? What? They're black and what they have we? to go outside. So, you know, like they're rich. Hello, yeah. somebody is dangerous. Hello, somebody is dangerous out there. And to and to that point, I opted out. Like, of course, I love basketball, but I opted out because of to stand for something. I retired to try to do something bigger and do something about it. And then even getting ownership with the Atlanta dream, yeah. it felt like, okay, wow, now I can really make a difference. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people think that me um, being able to be a part of the ownership group of the Atlanta dream was like all about right. the backstory and everything that went into it. For me, it's bigger than that. Like to be on the other side of the table, yeah. to be able to help make decisions that change the things that are happening we see a lot of things that happen, even with James Harden wanting to leave Houston. Like, people were upset that he didn't like that somebody in his ownership group was a, a starch time. Trump One supporter. Of the so, yeah. so he wanted to leave. Well, I mean, I don't understand. So for me, yeah, let's balance it out and let's let's balance the tables out. And, I mean, yeah. you know, we have Kamala Harris oh. in the White House as vice president, the first woman. Like, for me, that means a lot. So... This is why we're doing it. And if you don't understand why we're doing it, just look at the Norman High School girls, man. This is why we're doing it. Woo! To talk more about exactly these kind of conversations, we'll be right back with Jeremy Lin. This is your last chance to enter the Ohio Lottery's Fun Turns 50 promotion. Score $3,500 and two tickets to the epic party at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, where you could win part of another $400,000 in cash prizes. Enter the new 50th anniversary scratch-off or $50 worth of eligible non-winning $5 or $10 scratch-offs and My Lotto Rewards through the Ohio Lottery app. Hurry up. The last entry deadline is May 13th. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. If there's anything better than getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's, it's getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's for less in the McDonald's app. Mm. Delicious. Order in the McDonald's app today. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Right now, only in the app. Enjoy a breakfast sandwich for just $1, like a sausage McMuffin with egg. Offer valid one time per day from 429 to 512.24 at participating McDonald's. Must opt into rewards. Welcome back. And we're thrilled to welcome nine-year NBA veteran Jeremy Lin, currently of the G League Santa Cruz Warriors, formerly of the Hawks, the Nets, the Lakers, and of course, very close to my heart, the Knicks. Uh, Jeremy recently sparked a, a lot of conversation regarding the increasingly dangerous climate for Asian Americans on a Facebook post from a week ago, quote, being an Asian American doesn't mean we don't experience poverty and racism. Being in a nine-year NBA veteran doesn't protect me from being called coronavirus on the court. Being a man of faith doesn't mean I don't fight for justice for myself and for others. Uh, it's our honor to have Jeremy Lin here. Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to see you again virtually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually really contemplating my background now that I see yours with the, uh, the purple lights. Yeah, his 
This is nice. Yeah, Jason got the good vibes going on. Like that was not part of the uh, prep media prep for this, where I was supposed to have the coolest background and the bookshelf and all that. But no, it was awesome to see you. And then Renee, congrats again on everything, making history with the ownership. That's super cool. Um, and so I think you know I'm definitely rooting, rooting for you, and that was a big step. So let's go. Yeah, let's Thank go. Thank you. I like that. So Jeremy, uh, tell us about this post what were you trying to highlight what issues were you uh, trying to bring to people's attention i mean i think the biggest thing by far in a way is the post is about you know and that's the thing with headlines it's not you know a woe is me look i uh, went through this it's uh yeah. totally about the asian americans who are getting beat burned spit on uh yelled at punched stabbed robbed and uh there's just a lot going on there across the nation. And, you know, I can't explain to you how many people, even in the bubble, in the G League bubble, how many people came up to me after the post and said, I had no idea this was going on. I had no idea this was going on. This is actually, our whole team ended up talking about it. And it was just uh, amazing to see that, you know, obviously near and dear. And so with the the headlines and the things I'm looking at, my news cycle, um, I'll see a lot of these things, but I was just blown away at how much support the, the rest of the G League players, even people I'd never met before, staff members, players, all of that were just like, wow, that was amazing. And I had no idea. I start, just started Googling stuff and, and I was shocked at what I saw. Yeah. You know, you talked about the G League. I covered the G League this year and it was a big topic because obviously the NBA, the G League, the WNBA, the focus is to be more inclusive. And so do you think like... Why do you think that there's such an emphasis when it comes to Black Lives Matter? You know, it's it's widely accepted that there's racism and different things going on. But why do you think that there's a difference when it comes to Asian culture and that people necessarily don't know what's going on? That's interesting. I think it's such a complicated. I mean, the answer would probably be complicated and something far beyond what I could say from an expert opinion. But from if you're going to ask me right now, based off what I know, I think it's it's multiple things. I mean, I think there is this model minority thing that has been multi-generational where it's kind of just like, look, you know, as an Asian American, you put your head down, you work hard and you abide by the rules, whatever the people in power tell you the rules are and, and you don't say anything. And I don't think that's the right way to go about it. But I think, you know, when you think about the first immigrants coming over and there's language barriers and they're just trying to make a living and they're just trying to survive, the last thing they want to do is ruffle feathers. Um, and, and so I think there's there's a lot of that. In terms of how the black community has unified and rallied and, and drawn support and also, yeah. you know, built awareness, that's something that's, uh, to me personally, I'm really inspired by that. And so that's something that, like, yeah. you know, I want to do. And the crazy thing is I grew up in sports uh, and loving sports. And actually, um, the people that, like, I grew up watching and being inspired by were all black athletes. You know, it's pretty cool. You know, and, and I have... If you looked at my wall growing up, it was just like all the, the NBA players. And my, my every time I did any type of school report or anything, it was like MJ, MJ, MJ. <laughs> it was an athlete. <laughs> and so, um, but I think there's just a lot that we're trying to do in terms of building awareness of, amongst the Asian community and also having the Asian American community not only unify within ourselves, but also to, to, to unify and build solidarity uh, amongst uh, mainstream society as well. And, and I think there's, just a lot that goes into it. But um, I agree with you in the sense that like, yeah, there isn't as much much exposure to it. Yeah. Talk a little bit about um, that meeting you had with your teammates and how, how did that conversation 
come forward? Like how, how was that broached? Uh, so to be honest, our coach, our head coach, Chris Williams, he did this really cool thing where maybe once or twice a week, he would just read these stats and he wasn't, you know, standing on his soapbox and giving some type of speech. It was just, Hey, I'm going to read you guys some facts. And so he would read us facts from a calendar. Um, and so during February, it'd be like February on this day, this is what happened. Uh, and he would read stuff and it was like, so-and-so got lynched or so-and-so got raped. And it was just like a lot of these like very real stories. And he was just reading them and the descriptions and stuff like that. And then after he finished one of them, he also said, I just want to say, too, in relation to a lot of these things, because uh, Coach Weems is African-American. And so he was talking a lot about social justice and that and reading a lot of these African-American stories and things that are real stories. And so and then he also mentioned that. And he was like, I did not know that happened, Jeremy, but we stand by you. And it was one of those things where only a few of my teammates had heard it. And then we didn't make it a big deal. It happened. In, it happened really fast. And so. A lot of people didn't know about it. And then um, he kind of brought that up. And then that's kind of what spawned that. And then a lot of my teammates came up to me after and started talking to me or asking me about it and stuff like that. Was that the first time that something like that has ever happened to you? Was like that that's your first experience with that? Uh, no, I mean, if you're talking about like racist comments, for sure, not even close. Uh, growing up, it was, you know, you're a Chinese import, go back to China. When I got to college, it was, you know, chicken chow mein, look at your eyes. Can you see the scoreboard wow. orchestra? You're a chink, 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 chink. Like, and was this athlete saying this or just you talking about in school or was it like, who was doing this? Was it just like schoolmates doing that? Uh, it was, you know, it varied from people from school to opposing, you know, opponents. Oh, yeah. You know, the six-man club at away arenas to, you know, I've I've had stuff happen on, in an NBA arena from fans and spectators. Um, you know, this is many years ago. But again, this is just something that I've always kind of seen and experienced growing up. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, you know, the Asian-American experience is, is different, as you mentioned, from... Uh, the Black American experience, because there is no unified cultural voice. We're from Taiwan. We're from China. We're from Vietnam. We're from Cambodia. We're from the, I'm Filipino. When I uh, was growing up, nobody knew. I grew up in a white area. Nobody knew what that was. Like I didn't. I was Chinese to everyone. Like no, I was like no. I'm from the Philippines. Nobody had any understanding what that was. Um, as as you were coming into the uh, your awareness of just your own identity, what was that like growing up and trying to embrace or grapple with this Asian American identity? I mean, it's really hard and it's so evolving, right? And so, like growing up, I, the area that I grew up in is primarily white, um, but then I grew up in an immigrant, a Chinese immigrant church. And then I played basketball. And as I got into elite levels, AU levels, it was primarily African-American. And so I, I almost had these different sectors in my life. Like if it was school, it was white. If it was church, it was Asian. If it was, mm. if it was basketball, it was black primarily. Right. And then uh, and so for me, I was always kind of like trying to figure that out. And it's gotten even more complicated. Like, you know, when I grew up here during the sanity playing basketball here, I'm always like the basketball player. But it's like, but he's Asian but he's Asian. Yeah. And that was always a thing. So I never felt like I really belonged here, especially on the floor, right? Like on, on a basketball floor. Then I went overseas last year and played in China. And it's like, I'm, I look like them. I speak the language, but I'm a foreigner and I'm under the foreigner rules and I'm treated as a foreigner and everything, you know, there's a huge delineation between the locals and the foreigners. And so now I'm kind of like, Dude, I don't really belong anywhere. And when you talk about these uh, not having a unified voice. And you also talk about just being mashed into one group. It's so true. And 
this is a true story. One of my teammates, even just now in the G League level, as we were talking about it, he was just like, hey, man, like, I mean, I, I, I would love to learn more about Asian culture. Like, I mean, I even, I even love sushi. And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> Jeremy, I know you lying, Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy, I know you lying. Because <laughs> we were talking about Chinese food and we we're talking about the best Chinese food and where the best Chinese food was. And so I think, you know, and, and I'm, I mean, Dang. these are not oh, these are not God. to because it was so heartfelt and you could see it in, in my teammates eyes and in his heart that like he wanted to know more and he wanted to relate and he was genuine and he had tremendous respect for me and he cared for me. I've had teammates in the past in the NBA who, again, the same thing, like people who live next to me, my neighbors who are teammates who were, I was super close with. And then he, you know, one of them came up to me and was like, I don't understand Jeremy. How can you be Asian and Chinese? Like, that doesn't make sense. How can you both? And I had to explain, mm-hmm. like, oh, well, this yeah. is how, you know. And he wasn't trying to make fun of me. He wasn't trying to end it. It was right. just like, man, right. I'm just trying to learn. You know, for a lot of my teammates, I'm the first Asian teammate that they've ever had. And even some of my teammates, yeah. the first Asian friend that they've ever had. And so I, I'm like, man, you know what? Like, if it wasn't for basketball, I wouldn't have met a whole bunch of different people from different cultures right. and learn. And I had to learn. And I had to ask these same types of questions for other people growing up. And so, I mean, that's the beauty of the game, right? It brings us together. It does. And so you mentioned it. So I have to ask about it. What was Linsanity like? Just to switch gears a little bit, because I mean, that was a phenomenon. Like, that's why they called it Linsanity. It was insane. You were in New York. Like, can you just talk about what was that like to just be propelled to superstar status instantly? I mean, it was it's it's kind of like the first thing that I always say that kind of catches people off guard was just like it was really, really scary. Like, really? it was really, really scary. I mean, I, I don't play for the fame. And like, I don't, right. I, I struggle in the spotlight sometimes when, you know, even now when I get recognized, sometimes like, oh, this is Jeremy Lin. Or some people, like a few tables, I walk in the restaurant, like, oh, this is Jeremy Lin. Like, I'll start sweating. Like, I'll start yeah. actually sweating. And so I think for me, it was scary just how fast things change. I mean, I was on my brother and sister-in-law's couch and I had been there for four weeks and nobody cared. And I was walking in and out of the apartment <laughs> Every day, being in the elevator with other people. I was taking taxis to MSG. At MSG, people were stopping me and being like, okay, this is only for players. This is, you know, and I'm like, I'm, I'm a player. And they're like, no, you're not. And I'm like, no, they need <laughs> well, to do better. They got to do better. You know, and then a week or two later, it's like, I can't go anywhere. I can't go outside. There's paparazzi mm-hmm. camped outside my house. There's paparazzi camped outside my grandmother's house. I'm getting 200 text messages after every game. I'm in the taxi and now the taxi driver recognizes me and I'm on the screen, which I'm like, can we turn this TV off in the back of the, you know, the New York taxi? I'm like, turn the TV off. I don't want to see myself. And it was just like, everything flipped upside down and I was scared. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, I was scared and it became like this ghost or this shadow or this like Mm. phenomenon that I was trying to run away from. And as I have gotten older, I've come to really appreciate and embrace it. And now you see like, you know, back then it was like, no, 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 don't talk about me as an Asian. Like, talk about my hoops. Like, talk about what yeah. I'm doing on the yeah. court. Don't just yeah. say, don't just say, oh, look, look, look what he's doing. He's Asian. Look what he's doing. I'm like, don't do that. You just wanted to be a baller. Yep. And now yeah. it's like the opposite. I'm like, oh, you want to go ahead. I'm Asian. You can keep talking about it. Oh, you don't want to talk <laughs> yeah. about it as much anymore. Like, talk about it as much as you want now because I think as I've grown, I've come to appreciate it. I've come to understand the world a little bit more. I've understood how what some of the injustices are and I've evolved and now it's not about me and my recognition as a basketball player it's about the next generation it's about the life that 
the people that came before me were trying to allow us to live and it's about making change. And so I think it is, uh, I mean, that's kind of my whole like thing with insanity is it's, it's like continues to evolve depending on what season of life I'm at. Like I have a different yeah. perspective on it. It's so interesting. I was uh, full disclosure. I was in New York at that time. It, I was fully <laughs> caught up in it. It was a lot for me because I had your one-on-one duel with John Wall on DVR. Like, I was like, Jeremy Lin, I think he's going to be good. I was actually saying that to people. And so when it happened, it was like a lightning bolt because it's like, first of all, the Knicks are winning, (laughs) number one. Second of all, it's being spurred by this Asian-American guy. looks like me. I never thought this would happen. And it, I became like so possessive of that experience in a way that I had never really experienced through sports before. And I'm sure a lot of people felt like that. You mentioned like this evolving seasons of your life. Like at what point did you start to feel comfortable with the idea that people would look at you and think, I'm inspired by this person. This person is, is representing me in a way that I feel proud of. Man, I would say maybe like six years after and I'm going to give this like really weird analogy, but like I've always resonated with anybody who has gotten fame at a young age or gotten fame overnight. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. there are people like uh, that I draw to in terms of like Bieber or Tebow or Johnny Manziel or like people who have kind of experienced something s- somewhat similar. But I've always said like the reason why Bieber's music resonates with me is because you kind of like the seasons that he went through is kind of what I went through. Like in the beginning, it's really cool when it first happens and then you get scared and then you go from scared to like angry and bitter because you're like, I can't believe people are trying to use me. I can't believe people are trying to take advantage of me. And then you go from like bitter and angry to jaded. And as you become jaded, you just run run away. You're rebelling and you're like, screw everything. And then after that, you kind of hit low points and you get humbled. And as you get humbled, you start to appreciate some of the things that you had before because they they look different now. And after you appreciate yeah. that and you go through that season, then you get to the, the final season, which I think is just embracing it. And when you really get to that point where it's like, no, 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 I'm not jaded. I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. I'm embracing everything about it. Like to me, that was like a six year journey. And once I got past all of that, I was just like, oh, wow. Like I really did do things that have never been done on a basketball court on an NBA floor before. Oh, wow. I really did inspire people. But while it's happening and while you're like somewhat just a little bit removed from it, you're kind of like, dude, I don't want to be known for this. Like I'm more than that or like forget this or whatever. And so um, even now in the G league, like people were like opponents and stuff. Like we would play a game and then someone would ask me for a picture after. And so (laughs) I I grew up to do that insanity moment. Like, I grew up watching that. That was incredible, you know? And it's like, oh my goodness, like it really did touch people. And and I think that's, that took me about six years to really get to that point. And so, um, you know, I, I, I'm there now and that's why I'm like, you know, I, I, I love everything about it and I'm open talking about it. No, that's beautiful. And so it's, it is inspiring to see the maturation process and you created your own foundation. Mm. Now, can you just talk about that? Like what made you, because just hearing you talk, I'm glad you created your yeah. own foundation because <laughs> yeah. people people need to hear that because it's such a different perspective that, I mean, it's just not the norm experience. So what made you create your foundation and, and, and tell us about it? The one incident that made me promise to myself that I would work with underprivileged children uh, when, if I ever got the chance, when I was in middle school, 
I went to go pick up one of my AU teammates, one of my best friends, and he, I lived in Palo Alto, he lived in East Palo Alto. It's just across the highway. You literally just jump over the highway. When I was growing up, East Palo Alto had the highest crime per capita of any city in the U.S. And so we were coming, we were about to play a big game. I picked up my, my, my teammate and he's African-American. And I was like, hey man, you ready? It's a big game. How'd you sleep? He's like, I didn't sleep that well. And I was like, why? He's like, oh, there's gunshots like uh, in the middle of the night. And, and I, I got really scared and, and, we, and I started asking questions. And that's when I realized, man, I'm right here. You literally just jump over the little juncture, the, the highway interstate, and, and you go over to the other side and it's completely different. And that's when I said, from now on, like if I ever get the chance, I'm going to be doing some type of work there. And I ended up living in East Palo Alto for three weeks in high school and working with one of the apartment complexes. And the things wow. I saw, I mean, you saw like fifth graders who had to sell sell drugs just to make money. You saw, uh, you know, gang violence. You saw some of the kids in our little camp that we were working at. They were getting chased down by other gang members with bats trying to, you know, and, and it's in the middle of our programs. And like, I mean, the stuff I saw was just amazing, like in the sense that it was just like, I couldn't believe it. And dude, it was happening so close to where I grew up. And so I started my foundation my, my rookie year. And now uh, this past year, we we uh, partnered with five AAPI organizations that are serving underprivileged youth in the Bay Area. And it's just near and dear to my heart. And again, going back to like social justice and Asian American issues, you know, Asian Americans struggle a lot with income equality in the sense that a lot of people yeah. know that like certain Asians, you know, families are well off, but there people don't know about there are so many Asian families that are struggling and, and one in four. Yeah you know, are underprivileged and 12% in California are, are in poverty and there's huge income inequality. And now you add in COVID. And, and so these organizations are doing everything. Like they're, some of them are just chasing down these children that they can't even hear from anymore. They're like, where are they? We haven't heard from them. Where are they? And some of them are providing meals. Some of them are trying to find ways to continue their education. Otherwise they're going to fall further and further behind with COVID. And, and being isolated, not being able to go to school. And, and then, you know, some of them are about just getting meals or, you know, youth empowerment, anti-bullying, mental health, leadership development, like across the board, a wide ranging spectrum of things that uh, are serving AAPI youth in the Bay Area. And so um, that's what we've been focused on this year. And the thing about COVID across the board is it's just made the gap even wider. And yeah, yeah. If, and this is not just within Asian Americans, just this made the gap wider, period. And if we're not cognizant of that. There are some serious long-term effects that will happen if we're if we as a society don't rally together to try to help. Jeremy, uh, I hope people will uh, seek out your foundation and and uh, try to help. Thanks for joining us. This was an absolute awesome. pleasure to talk like, to you. I could listen to you talk all for the real. time. Talk more, Jeremy. <laughs> talk more. People need to hear that. Educate people. No, I appreciate it. It was awesome, and it was it was super fun. And congrats. I know this is a a new thing as well, a new venture for yeah. you guys. This is super cool. I'm honored to be guest number one. And I, I'm like, yes, sir. Yeah. I was like, man, cool. I'm a part of your guys' history. So thanks for having me. Let's go. Let's go. Linsanity. We are bringing Linsanity back. But this time foundation go. style. I like it. I like it. I love it. So thanks for having Thank me. Thank you, Jeremy. Really uh, appreciate thank it. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for coming on. Up next, the inaugural competition of Take Survivor. 
Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a mysterious room of long-forgotten moldy mascot memorabilia, often pitched by ad agencies, always rejected by NJM. Is it real? We may never know. But what is real is NJM's dedication to doing what's right for their customers. Astoundingly, they're proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. Learn more at NJM.com. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Welcome to Take Survivor. Three rounds, three takes, 30 seconds per take, and the judges are the contestants themselves, our contestants today. He's a producer and an editor at Crooked Media. He has some of the worst opinions at the company, Elijah Cohn. Elijah, how are you? Jason, I'm excited to be here, and I'm ready to play to win. Jason Gallagher. A video editor and creator extraordinaire. Jason, how are you? I'm feeling great. I'm hoping to make it out of the second round. That's all. <laughs> She's the co-host of this podcast, a two-time WNBA champion, and the co-owner of the Atlantic Dream, Renee Montgomery. Renee, hello. What's up? What's up? I see y'all stacked it against me with these crazy topics, but I'm here for another win. What's up? He was a former senior advisor to Bruce Springsteen's current podcast co-host, Dan Pfeiffer. Dan Pfeiffer, how do you do, sir? I'm good. Like any good Philadelphia fan, I just hope to make the conference finals of this competition. <laughs> yes, Dan! <laughs> I'd also like to note that all the contestants are wearing black hoodies, something I just noticed right now. Kind oh, of a wow. weird thing. Do you notice mine says anything? Ice the Beasts. Okay, that's how I'm coming today. Round one, first question. Who is the NBA MVP for the 2020-2021 season? We can have the same player be put up as an answer, but you have to have an original take. Let's start with Elijah Cohen. Who is the NBA MVP? 30 seconds starting now. Jason... The Utah Jazz have the best record in the NBA, and so my 2021 NBA MVP is none other than Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq <laughs> was shit-talking Donovan Mitchell on live TV, and it gave the Jazz motivation to compete, which is what Shaq said he was trying to do. And if there's one person who would agree with me that, that Shaq should be MVP, it is Shaq himself. And as Shaq would point out, Shaq has multiple rings. Do you want to argue with that? Wow, Elijah Cohn. I like it. Elijah Cohn with the Shaq Diesel for NBA MVP. Next, Jason Gallagher. Jason Gallagher, who is the NBA MVP? From a completely unbiased perspective, I'm going to say Luka Doncic still. I'm still with Luka. Look at the Don. They started the uh, season off 
COVID hit them hard. They started 9-14. and 14. Since then, they've climbed from the 14th seed all the way up to the 8th seed. I think by the end of the season, they're going to have home court advantage. And everybody <laughs> complaining that he shouldn't have started are going to look like silly, silly people. And he's going to be hoisting that MVP trophy up. People have short memories. It's all about the second half of the season. Let's go! Ooh, okay. Doncic, Luka Doncic for MVP, says Jason Who Gallagher. Who are Renee, these guys? Renee Montgomery. <laughs> Who is the NBA MVP? Okay, this is easy. Any athlete knows that the MVP of the NBA is always the refs. They have the right to make a wrong call. You can't go back at them. We saw. It's funny you brought up the Jazz, Elijah, because a player from there, Donovan Mitchell, recently went off about the refs and said it's ridiculous. No one can stop the refs. They will do what they do. And if they get it wrong, they have the ability to go back, watch a review, and choose if they want to just stick with their wrong answer or say, hey, we'll change it to the right answer. There's no wrong space for them. How could they not be MVP? Mm-hmm. Wow. Renee Montgomery. Strong boy. The Zebras. The referees <laughs> for NBA MVP. Dan Pfeiffer, who is the NBA MVP? If we have to award the NBA MVP trophy at the All-Star break, there's no question it's Drew Embiid. I know he got injured right afterwards, but for the first half of the season, he is definitely MVP. And if he gets back soon enough, he can easily be the MVP for the whole year. He is a top five offensive player, a top five defensive player. The Philadelphia 76ers are number one in the East. He's proven his value in, against the Jazz, where he dropped 40 and 19, and managed to get Donovan Mitchell kicked out of the game in overtime to ensure their victory by pointing out his technical foul to Renee's MVP, the referees. Wow. Oh, he's, I like it. I like it. Dan Pfeiffer says it's Joel Embiid. And now we will go to voting. Cast your votes, contestants. Great thing about Take Survivor is the contestants cast the votes as well. Elijah Cohn came with Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal noted for endorsing approximately 9,000 products. Is he the league MVP? What about Luka Doncic? Luka Doncic, the European sensation, came in a little bit overweight, but that's fine. Mavs uh, stumbled out of the gate, but have steadied of late. Ray Montgomery says the referees. A lot of notable refereeing controversies taking place in the league right now. Notable ejections for Devin Booker. A controversial end in Utah. The referees are certainly feeling themselves right now. Are they the MVP? <laughs> Dan Pfeiffer says it's Joel Embiid who managed to call a tech somehow on Donovan Mitchell. Incredible work from him. Is he the MVP because he's a player and a ref? <laughs> Here are the votes, and the votes are... Oh, no. One vote for Jason Gallagher. Two votes for Jason Gallagher. One vote for Elijah. We have two votes for Jason Gallagher, one vote for Elijah. One vote for Elijah. We are tied. Two votes Jason Gallagher, two votes Elijah... Final vote coming in now. And the first person voted out of Take Survivor is Elijah Cohn. Uh. Elijah Cohn, what do you have to say for yourself? Uh, I'm shocked. I feel like too much emphasis was put on the jazz. Shaq would point out that Shaq would shut down Joel Embiid if he was in the league right now. None of these other players, they can't stack up to the diesel. And I just want to wish the best to my opponents. Um, even though they don't deserve it. (laughs) 
Get out of here. <laughs> Mute his mic. That's it. I don't want to hear from him anymore. Unless he's voting in our second and third rounds. Round two. Round two. Communication so important. Not just today, but throughout history and in the future. What is the best line from a speech? It can be a real speech. It can be a TV speech. It can be a speech from a book. It can be a speech in real life. How and any love for a thousand points of light, George W. Bush? What is the best line from a speech? Let's start with you, Jason Gallagher. Best line from a speech. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I don't need that extra time because Coach Taylor inspired so many teams. East, West, doesn't matter when, where, doesn't matter if the team has lost their quarterback or a member is an alcoholic or whatever it might be. He is your guy. He needs to say just those words and championship guaranteed. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Jason Gallagher goes with Coach Taylor's clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Wow. Renee Montgomery, what is the best line from a speech? Oh, Jason, this is so easy. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Oh, wow. The reason that that's a good line is because a few good men, we're looking for a few good men right now. We saw what happened in the recent presidency. We are looking for a few good men to be allies for this futurist female. So all we need is people that want the truth, can handle the truth, and embrace the truth. And that line has never been truer. We want the truth. We can handle it. Wow. Colonel Jessup, you can't handle the truth. Renee Montgomery. Dan Pfeiffer. Dan, what's the best line from a speech? Well, in a very on-brand way, I'm going to pick an Obama speech. Never heard of him. The 2015 State of the Union, he had a line that said, I've run my last campaign. The Republicans cheered. Obama went off script, ignoring the words written by him by some man named John, and said, I know, because I won both of them. It was a perfect moment because it was unscripted. It owned the Republicans and was one of the rare, truly authentic, impromptu moments in a political speech. And Pfeiffer goes with Bruce Springsteen's co-host, Barack Obama. Let's go to the voting. Let's go to the voting rounds now. And just to remind everyone, we have Jason Gallagher with Coach Taylor. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Would Coach Taylor have voted for Trump? Probably the first time, right? Maybe the second time he would have been talked out of it by Tammy. Uh, but I think he definitely would have voted that first time for Donald J. Trump. Renee Montgomery. You can't handle the truth. The famous scene from A Few Good Men. Colonel Jessup under cross-examination admits that, yes, he did indeed. Word of the code red. Dan Pfeiffer. I know because I won both of them. Mm. Mm. Barack Obama. You may have heard of him. Listen to him now exclusively on Spotify. Let's look at the voting totals. One vote for Jason Gallagher. Someone not a fan of Coach Taylor, that uh, that 2016 vote coming back to haunt him. Two votes for Jason Gallagher. <laughs> oh, no. We've got, we've got three votes for Jason Gallagher. One vote for Renee Montgomery. Someone couldn't handle that truth. Can't handle the truth. And our final vote for our second person voted out of Take Survivor. Clear eyes, full hearts. Jason did lose. Jason Gallagher, what do you have to say for yourself? 
you know, he was an unconventional coach, and uh, <laughs> that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I, I, it's fine. I get it. But now he's screaming at Godzilla, and I appreciate him still. Who would he, vo- who would he have voted for in 2016? Uh, absolutely, Donald Trump. Come on. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, glad we got oh that cleared up, God. and now we move on to our goodbye finals. Are you ready for the Take Survivor finals? And the final question: <laughs> Renee Montgomery versus Dan Pfeiffer. Okay, what is the best Bravo reality show? What is the best Bravo reality show? Renee Montgomery, we will start with you. What's the best Bravo reality show? The best Bravo reality show. Come on, we everybody knows this Vanderpump Rules. It's so Ooh. easy. I, re- I didn't even know that that was on there until I googled it, and I'm like, what? Jackson, all of that drama. He's been <laughs> with every girl on the show. They're rich and they're acting like they're not. It's just upper scale reality TV. Bravo did it best. Shouts to all the Vanderpumps. She, Lisa Vanderpump, wow. is basically babysitting all the adults. And what? That seems very normal to life right now. So hey, Vanderpump. Pump rules. Renee Montgomery chose the Vanderpump Rules. Vanderpump Rules. <laughs> Current status up in the air, of course, but one, seasons one to five, perhaps the best reality seasons ever. Dan Pfeiffer, what is the best Bravo reality show? I could have said Vanderpump Rules, a show about Trump supporters who work in a restaurant in LA. <laughs> Instead, I will say. Top Chef, which is not only the best Bravo reality show, it is the best reality show and maybe one of the best shows on TV. It is of of this entire century. It mixes everything you could want, incredible drama, competition, inspiring stories. It is the best of food culture, restaurants, incredibly diverse. It is one of the last shows that you cannot miss in real time because it will be spoiled for you right then and there. I fully endorse uh, Top Chef as the best Bravo show. Wow. Vanderpump Rules versus Top Chef in our Take Survivor (laughs) final. Let's go to the voting. Oh, my gosh. Right. Send me your votes. Let's go to the voting. And just remember, you are voting for the winner. Take Survivor. Renee Montgomery, two-time WNBA champion, NCAA champion with UConn, co-owner of the Atlanta Dream. Her dream today is to win take survivor look at dan sitting over there real (laughs) proud of himself dan pfeiffer angling for that gig working for bruce springsteen next it's all a stepping stone for him he says top (laughs) chef and their iconic judges padma lakshmi tom colicchio gail simmons do these judges like what they've tasted today from dan and just a reminder this is the final round you are voting for the winner you're writing down the name of the person who you think should win Take Survivor. Votes coming in now. One vote. One vote for Dan Pfeiffer. Dan Pfeiffer. Two votes. <laughs> Dan Pfeiffer. One vote for Renee Montgomery. We have one abstention. Wow, coward. Who was it? We have one. And our winner and our guest today, Dan Pfeiffer. Dan Pfeiffer, congratulations on winning Take Survivor. This is my first. Wow. What is your speech? 
Well, I'd like to say that I almost got hustled by Renee because I specifically, in an effort of gamemanship, voted against Jason in the last round because Renee said, what's Bravo? So I figured I wanted to face her in the finals. And then she came out with Vanderpump Rules. So I almost played myself there. I got very lucky. Uh, congratulations, Dan. And that has been all. For Take Survivor, where only the strongest take survives. Okay, time for buzzer beaters where Jason and I tell you stories we didn't get to get in the show, but we want you to know about. That's right. I'll get this party started. Shame, shame, shame. So if you haven't seen Judas and the Black Messiah, you should probably see it. It's a great movie. But if you do see it, there's a Black Messiah There's also in there. a Judas. I'm just going to even, I'm not even going <laughs> to use names because there's also a Judas, okay? Can I tell you that the movie is named Judas and the Black Messiah and the people that play Judas and the Black Messiah, they got a nom for best supporting actors. So I'm assuming there were no lead actors in the movie then. I don't understand who could be the lead if Judas and the Black Messiah are not the lead. Help me, Jason. I don't understand I don't, what's happening. I mean, I get in the sense that I guess this was a way that they could include... Now, listen, I'm playing devil's advocate. I want to be very clear that I am not supporting the decision. <laughs> but I think I, if I, I, I'm guessing that the decision was so they, they could have Lakeith and Daniel Kaluuya up for supporting and have Chadwick Boseman in for lead actor. That said, this is crazy. I mean, like one of them is the star of the movie, right? So one person had to be the lead. That's what that's what the part I don't understand, but these things happen. Again, I'm not shocked. Yes. I just wanted to bring it to your attention. Like I said at the top, these are things that I wanted you to know about in case you didn't um, know. What you got, Jason? Listen, I'm a big Marvel fan. Falcon and the Winter Soldier comes out this Friday on Disney+. Plus. I've been rereading the comics in which Sam Wilson takes the shield from Steve Rogers' Captain America, becomes the black Captain America. A lot of people uh, in that fictional universe had a lot of problems with it. And I think it was a, and it's a really inspiring, great story. If you want to read the comics on it, check out uh, all new Captain America, check out Sam Wilson, Captain America, check out Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the comic book title. Um, and it, it was, it's just really action packed. There's a lot of uh, addressing a lot of issues that you will find trenchant in terms of the way uh, we are living our lives right now. And I can't wait for the for the show to come out every Friday. So does this have any relation to WandaVision? It does. It takes place in the same universe at a basically the same time. So I in this so. Uh, in this world, Steve Rogers, I who is Captain so. America since World War Two, has uh, given up the shield because he got old and he gave it to Sam Wilson, who will now take on the mantle of Captain America, becoming the yep. first black Captain America. Okay. And that's it for this, the very first episode of Take Line. Number one. On behalf of myself and the two-time Renee Montgomery, we bid you adieu. Please follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, whatever platform you're using. Don't forget the five-star ratings. We want those. Give us those or we will come to your house 
after we get the vaccine, but we will Facts. come and we will make you do it. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube slash TakeLine channel where you can get original content and clips from this podcast and fresh episodes of All Caps NBA, which drop every Friday. On behalf of myself, Renee, goodbye. TakeLine is a crooked media production. The show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Save big money in your next project with help from Menards. Move water where you need it quickly with a Barracuda sump pump. Some pumps keep your basement dry when big storms hit unexpectedly. Get a half-horsepower cast-iron Barracuda sump pump on sale now through May 5th. Hurry into Menards. And don't forget to check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Napa! Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shims that eliminate noise for the life of the pad. Rubber-coated hardware for a better fit and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. Napa.